Section 12 of An Inland Voyage. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Denise Nordell. An Inland Voyage by Robert Louis Stevenson. Origny Saint Benoit. A by day. The next day was Sunday, and the church bells had little rest. Indeed, I do not think I remember anywhere else so great a choice of services as were here offered to the devout. And while the bells made merry in the sunshine, all the world with his dog was out shooting among the beets and colza. In the morning a hawker and his wife went down the street at a foot-pace, singing to a very slow, lamentable music, O France mes amours. It brought everybody to the door, and when our landlady called in the man to buy the words, he had not a copy of them left. She was not the first, nor the second, who had been taken with the song. There is something very pathetic in the love of the French people since the war for dismal patriotic music-making. I have watched a forester from Alsace while someone was singing Les Malheurs de la France at a baptismal party in the neighborhood of Fontainebleau. He arose from the table and took his son aside, close by where I was standing. Listen, listen, he said, bearing on the boy's shoulder, and remember this, my son. A little after he went out into the garden suddenly, and I could hear him sobbing in the darkness. The humiliation of their arms and the loss of Alsace and Lorraine made a sore pull on the endurance of this sensitive people, and their hearts are still hot not so much against Germany as against the Empire. In what other country will you find a patriotic ditty bring all the world into the street? But affliction heightens love, and we shall never know we are Englishmen until we have lost India. Independent America is still the cross of my existence. I cannot think of Farmer George without abhorrence, and I never feel more warmly to my own land than when I see the stars and stripes and remember what our empire might have been. The hawker's little book which I purchased was a curious mixture. Side by side with the flippant, rowdy nonsense of the Paris music halls, there were many pastoral pieces, not without a touch of poetry, I thought, and instinct with the brave independence of the poorer class in France. There you might read how the woodcutter gloried in his axe, and the gardener scorned to be ashamed of his spade. It was not very well written, this poetry of labor, but the pluck of the sentiment redeemed what was weak or wordy in the expression. The martial and the patriotic pieces, on the other hand, were tearful, womanish productions one and all. The poet had passed under the Cowdine Forks. He sang for an army visiting the tomb of its old renown, with arms reversed, and sang not of victory, but of death. There was a number in the hawker's collection called Conscrit Francais, which may rank among the most dissuasive war lyrics on record. It would not be possible to fight at all in such a spirit. The bravest conscript would turn pale if such a ditty were struck up beside him on the morning of battle, and whole regiments would pile their arms to its tune. If Fletcher of Salton is in the right about the influence of national songs, you would say France was come to a poor pass. But the thing will work its own cure, and a sound-hearted and courageous people weary at length of sniveling over their disasters. Already Paul de Roulet has written some manly military verses. There is not much of the trumpet-note in them, perhaps, to stir a man's heart in his bosom. They lack the lyrical elation and move slowly, but they are written in a grave, honorable, stoical spirit, which should carry soldiers far in a good cause. One feels as if one would like to trust de Roulet with something, it will be happy if he can so far inoculate his fellow-countrymen that they may be trusted with their own future. And in the meantime, here is an antidote to French conscripts and much other doleful versification. We had left the boats overnight in the custody of one whom we shall call Carnival. I did not properly catch his name, and perhaps that was not unfortunate for him, as I am not in a position to hand him down with honor to posterity. To this person's premises we strolled in the course of the day, and found quite a little deputation inspecting the canoes. 
there was a stout gentleman with a knowledge of the river which he seemed eager to impart there was a very elegant young gentleman in a black coat with a smattering of english who led the talk at once to the oxford and cambridge boat race and then there were three handsome girls from fifteen to twenty and an old gentleman in a blouse with no teeth to speak of and a strong country accent quite the pick of origny i should suppose the cigarette had some mysteries to perform with his rigging in the coach-house so i was left to do the parade single-handed i found myself very much of a hero whether i would or not the girls were full of little shudderings over the dangers of our journey and i thought it would be ungallant not to take my cue from the ladies my mishap of yesterday told in an off-hand way produced a deep sensation it was othello over again with no less than three desdemonas and a sprinkling of sympathetic senators in the background never were the canoes more flattered or flattered more adroitly it is like a violin cried one of the girls in an ecstasy i thank you for the word mademoiselle said i all the more since there are people who call out to me that it is like a coffin oh but it is really like a violin it is finished like a violin she went on and polished like a violin added a senator one has only to stretch the cords concluded another and then tum tumpty tum he imitated the result with spirit was this not a graceful little ovation where this people finds the secret of its pretty speeches i cannot imagine unless the secret should be no other than a sincere desire to please but then no disgrace is attached in france to saying a thing neatly whereas in england to talk like a book is to give in one's resignation to society the old gentleman in the blouse stole into the coach-house and somewhat irrelevantly informed the cigarette that he was the father of the three girls and four more quite an exploit for a frenchman you are very fortunate answered the cigarette politely and the old gentleman having apparently gained his point stole away again we all got very friendly together the girls proposed to start with us on the morrow if you please and jesting apart everyone was anxious to know the hour of our departure now when you are going to crawl into your canoe from a bad launch a crowd however friendly is undesirable and so we told them not before twelve and mentally determined to be off by ten at latest towards evening we went abroad again to post some letters it was cool and pleasant the long village was quite empty except for one or two urchins who followed us as they might have followed a menagerie the hills and the tree-tops looked in from all sides through the clean air and the bells were chiming for yet another service suddenly we sighted the three girls standing with a fourth sister in front of a shop on the wide selvage of the roadway we had been very merry with them a little while ago to be sure but what was the etiquette of origny had it been a country road of course we should have spoken to them but here under the eyes of all the gossips ought we to do even as much as bow i consulted the cigarette look said he i looked there were the four girls on the same spot but now four backs were turned to us very upright and conscious corporal modesty had given the word of command and the well-disciplined picket had gone right about faced like a single person they maintained this formation all the while we were in sight but we heard them tittering among themselves and the girl whom we had not met laughed with open mouth and even looked over her shoulder at the enemy i wonder was it altogether modesty after all or in part a sort of country provocation as we were returning to the inn we beheld something floating in the ample field of golden evening sky above the chalk cliffs and the trees that grow along their summit it was too high up too large and too steady for a kite and as it was dark it could not be a star for although a star were as black as ink and as rugged as a walnut so amply does the sun bathe heaven with radiance that it would sparkle like a point of light for us the village was dotted with people with their heads in air and the children were in a bustle all along the street and far up the straight road that climbs the hill where we could still see them running in loose knots it was a balloon we learned which had left san quentin at half-past five that evening 
mighty composedly the majority of the grown people took it but we were english and were soon running up the hill with the best being travellers ourselves in a small way we would fain have seen those other travellers alight the spectacle was over by the time we gained the top of the hill all the gold had withered out of the sky and the balloon had disappeared whither i asked myself caught up into the seventh heaven or come safely to land somewhere in that blue uneven distance into which the roadway dipped and melted before our eyes probably the aeronauts were already warming themselves at a farm chimney for they say it is cold in these unhomely regions of the air the night fell swiftly roadside trees and disappointed sightseers returning through the meadows stood out in black against a margin of low red sunset it was cheerfuller to face the other way and so down the hill we went with a full moon the color of a melon swinging high above the wooded valley and the white cliffs behind us faintly reddened by the fire of the chalk kilns the lamps were lighted and the salads were being made in orgny saint benoit by the river End of section 12. Recording by Denise Nordell, Modesto, California.